So there's there's a lovely thing about just that joy, in, and I think that sense of joy yeah. is something that I would not like to lose from any bit of work that I do in the future. Welcome to What Two Buildings Do All Day. I am Emmett Scanlon, and in this episode I am talking to Valerie Mulvin, who you heard speak of joy just now, and also to Ruth Hurley of McCullough Mulvin Architects based in Dublin. Together with Niall McCullough and Corin O'Connor, Ruth and Valerie led the team for the Thapar University project in the Punjab in India. This is a series of buildings and a total of almost 1 million square feet of rooms, arranged in a series of red forms, a total distance of 1.5 kilometres apart, and altogether conceived of as a new social, spatial and material anchor for the teaching and learning community based at the university. This is a significant project in the life of these architects. It is by any standards a large series of buildings with complex rooms inside, from very public libraries to very private bedrooms. And they started to design this in 2015 and worked to complete with their partner office in Delhi in late 2019, which is a rather rapid timetable. The building is also in India, a fact that places significant personal, professional and ethical demands on a practice which, like many of their contemporaries in Ireland, have a reputation for being very skilled and committed in making buildings out of, but relevant back to, any place and any population for which such buildings are intended. We discussed this, but I was curious to know how and by what process the architects actually got this commission, and first you will hear Valerie and then Ruth tell the story of these buildings. Um, it's it's a bit of a long story, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll try it. Um, Except it all happened very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. Um, the, first of all, the chancellor of this university, uh, who became our, our brilliant client, um, he works very closely with the with the family who endowed this university in 1956, just after partition in India. It's a private university, um, and this client of of ours, Rajiv Vadera. He has a business background, so he started to run the university after he finished doing his normal job, if you like, and he took on this in his retirement to run the university, and he decided he was going to run it like he ran a paper mill. And that was that was really the, the key to it, that his expertise is looking for uh, kind of particular expertise in a specialist area, going and getting it and taking it back. And so he looked at the university and said, we need to, we need to upgrade this. So he decided he'd first of all take the academics and upgrade all of their teaching practices. He went to a series of universities all around all around the world, actually, between Europe, America, Australia. And he went looking for teaching and learning expertise. And he got that. He, he made relationships with people. And one of the people he made a relationship with is Trinity College in Dublin, where we've done a fair bit of work. Um, he, he wanted to get a place. He, he recognized the importance of place as being something that could actually draw students into a campus. Um, because being a private university, it's something that they have to attract people to. Um, he wanted to make that environment. They saw they liked our buildings at Trinity. And so out of the blue, we got an email and we almost missed it. And it just invited us to an interview to talk about their plans for a number of buildings uh, on the campus in Patiala, in the Punjab. And following that, they said, would we take them around our buildings in Ireland so they could see them. So we went around, I think, every building we've ever done, practically. Yeah, we, uh, we hired a, hired a, a, a minibus, minibus for a day and drove from Dublin to, All of the to Cork and back up via, I don't know, we went to six or seven or eight different yeah. projects in the day. And, yeah, yeah and, and things we were building as well as things that were completed. And that was April 2015. And then they invited us to visit the campus. And after a walkabout on the campus, they kind of locked us into a room and said you know, with your tracing paper now, just come up with a concept and uh, come back to us in an hour. So we came back in the hour at the appointed time and we, we gave them our, our presentation and then it all went very quiet. Uh, they invited a couple of other architects to undergo the same process. We put it out of our minds completely. And the next thing we got a phone call to ask us, would we come out again? So I, I went solo this time as we couldn't afford another unpaid visit on spec. Yeah, we were we were we kind of took a punt on. Us, yeah, we um, did because we, we we weren't sure, as ever with these things, you know, uh, you know what the what the real situation on the ground was. And mm. on that first visit, we 
we, uh, we decided that we wanted to drive up from Delhi. So we, we flew to Delhi uh, via uh, Abu Dhabi, I think it was, or uh, Dubai. And mm. um, we, we said, no, we, we prefer not to fly because we wanted to get a sense of the, of the, of the country. Well, you'd, been, yeah. you'd been there mm-hmm. in India already. I hadn't, I hadn't been before. And so uh, after much kind of over and back of them saying, you can't, you can't be serious, we actually did drive up. And mm. we, we thought it would take us about three and a half hours to get there. I think it took us... Seven took hours. Seven hours, yeah. Uh, and it was a combination of kilometers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was kind of on road and off road and everything uh, in between. And so by the time we arrived, and the heat was, I mean, the heat is, is, is so intense. And you're kind of, um, we, had, we had done that kind of journey without, I, I think, having left Dublin, we, we hadn't really slept at all. So it was a terribly long uh, thing. And then we arrived in, and there was, a, there was a room of people waiting for us with a long table in a, in a very formal in their formal meeting room um, and so that was yeah so that was when, when we were kind of brought mm-hmm. in to have the first conversation but I suppose the tour around the campus then was in this searing heat um, and moving the campus is very big it's 250 acres hectares yeah and it's very um, extensive and low low de- low density so um, kind of the tour of the campus took uh, took some time and but it was fascinating to get a sense of where where the great things were actually and where the opportunities were for us, obviously. Yeah. So we kind of we kind of had to decide immediately how we were thinking about doing this. They had identified a number of sites and we kind of said, Well, you know, this is this is what we think you should do. Um so that was our first that was our first go. And then the second go, um, it it became a thing about haggling over fees, actually, pretty savage haggling over fees. And uh, then it all went quiet. And, and after a while, they, they, they just hired us and said, we want you to do this. So there were, it, it was kind of, um, I suppose it was based on what they saw, what they were looking for, and how all of the personalities meshed. Because they wanted people who would be, I think, there for them, who would kind of, you know, stick with it. Because they unrolled it as a kind of a five-year, a five to ten-year project, mm. and we've gone through the first five years of that now. So, so then at that point, uh, we had this huge job and a very short timetable. I think we had what to to get it to. Well, when we met to, them, in, we met them in February 2015. That was the first meeting, which was in Dublin. Yeah, and they said that they were going to be on site with this project in 12 months' time. And then we had the, those series of meetings and eventually we got to, it was in June, June we were form- formally appointed. And so we sat down then to talk about the program, but the program hadn't changed, which was we're going to be, we're going to be starting on site with the first phase uh, at the beginning of February in 2016. So that program hadn't changed and we realized quite quickly it wasn't going to change. There was no, you know, there was, there was no, no kind of prolongation of the process. So we had to get on that train, which was moving quite fast. And in, in I'm, I'm really curious about that one hour you had in the room, you know, when you've flown to India and you are, you know, you're trying to understand um, what is a very complex place, um, a new country um, that you haven't worked in before with a new client you haven't worked with before. And of course, there's been some exchange because they've seen your buildings. But but that one hour in the room, when all you guys have, obviously you have your experience and you have your words and you have pen and paper. What was that like in that room? Um <laughs> for you in terms of a creative yeah. moment yeah. where you're, you we know, were, it's yeah, cool. we weren't on our own either. We weren't even on our own. There were two yeah. people sitting there. They left two people with us to, to take <laughs> care of us, you know, and to make sure Bring that we, tea and we had what we needed. Um, and so it was, yeah, a deep breath and uh, the sketch roll was... <laughs> yeah, the sketch roll was, was very important. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, as you were saying, it wasn't my first visit to India. We, Neil and I had been there about 15 years beforehand. So we had a little bit of a sense of the place by traveling around on trains and going to temples and palaces and observatories and uh, Mughal gardens and, and, and through those incredible populous cities. And I suppose the, um, the thing of, uh, for us, the highlight of that trip, besides all of that, kind of hugely important uh, introduction to another whole way of thinking uh, was to see Le Corbusier's work there in Chandigarh. And this this town is only about, what, an hour and a half from Chandigarh as well. Mm. Um, so it was kind of looking at space and light and and huge bare volumes in, in this flat plain, the red earth of the Punjab, um, and, and thinking about very simple things, like first of all, like you would do in any sort of campus situation, looking at the site, having done a kind of a, a quick analysis of it. And of course, we'd looked at it in advance 
um, you know, from Google Maps and so on. But not having been there, it's hard to appreciate it. So we we, we have this feature of this huge eucalyptus forest to one side. We have this quite uh, geometric campus set out, but everything had just arrived and dropped down as if out of space. So there was no connection between anything. And I suppose, you know, we, we kind of had to develop a, a thought about geography and geometry. And those are two things that we would think about a lot in the work that we do anyway. So it's not as if you're suddenly there, uh, you know, naked. You've got the whole sense of all the training you've had, all the buildings you've worked on, all the things that you've done in the past. And we've done quite a lot of campus planning where we we, we, we know what, what makes things work. How do people move around it? How do students activate a place? What are the kinds of places that they need to be in, which are beyond the formal teaching spaces? Because this was, we were given a very engineering-led kind of set of set of kind of brief aspirations and, you know, deliver a library, deliver a lecture, a series of lecture halls, deliver um, a computer science building, deliver 2,500 student beds in accommodation. That was the kind of the brief and a load of other stuff as well, faculty housing, guest house, all this kind of thing. And we had to kind of distill out of that, well, what could we take as a, a kind of a simple version of things? What were the glaring, obvious things that needed to be solved on this campus? And how could we do that? And so we, we thought about this thing about making a connection between two different places that would be big enough to contain the, the, the functions. Instead of dispersing the functions everywhere, we thought we should try and pull them together, pull them together yeah. into two different kind yeah. of poles. And one was about uh, accommodation. sleeping and accommodation yeah. and, and being being kind of active in your own kind of normal life. And the other was about learning and, and absorbing and being like a sponge and, and understanding, meeting other people. And so they had given us a kind of a series of sites within the campus where they thought we could locate the various buildings and a list then of the buildings. And I suppose having done that tour and observed the movement within the campus and the, the atmosphere and the ambience, our first response was that what they were lacking was the uh, that was a place of focus in the mm -hmm. campus, so a destination for the students. And the other big obvious issue was that there was nowhere for the students to um, to hang out, to have casual conversations, uh, to have any so, any kind of sociability because because of the heat mm -hmm. and because all of the all of the the other buildings were, were kind of strictly programmed. And so I suppose in in that hour, what we were trying to do was to distill those points, shelter space um, and density uh, uh, as being kind of the key yeah. the key moves so to bring rather than to disperse those elements we said we'll bring all of those three academic the kind of the academic functions all together into the one block and then provide shade for the students to um, be able to exist yeah. really as students because we were quite interested in the whole kind of sustainability side of things and and how do you how do you manage, without destroying the planet, how do you try and make spaces that are sensible for people to work in and live in, where the heat is often 45, 50 degrees, and the relative humidity goes up to 100%. And it is a deeply uncomfortable um, situation to be in. If you were in, in South Carolina, you would expect to walk from your air-conditioned car into your air-conditioned mall, into your air-conditioned university. And actually, they wanted exactly the same. So we had to try and think about how could we come up with a way of letting the building itself modify the do, climate do that and be the buffer. Yeah. So in terms of trying to do that, that's where we came up with this idea of making a podium under which things could happen and through which buildings could pop up. Um, and the other thing that's important, sorry, Emma, you were going to say. So I was just going to say, maybe you could, yeah, it, it's interesting you're talking about the podium and, and the organisation of the buildings. It yeah. might be good just to to describe a little bit where the where the entire project has now arrived at and and because it's physically happening it's building it's built and parts of it are built yeah so so how, how does it now work well i suppose it, just to, to kind of give you the, the the kind of concept that we had about this this these two poles if you like we we connected them with a shaded walkway and that was important just to make sure that people could walk comfortably and they're about a kilometer yeah. apart just yes, in so terms just of, the, of the scale of it, of the yeah. Scale. yeah, between the living accommodation and the academic. Yeah, hall. yeah. And so the living accommodation, we we and and we had a kind of a geometric idea which we 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 took from things like garden geometry and things like that that you would find in all traditional Indian gardens, where there's water, there's landscape, and there's geometry, and those things, those elements are used to create a series of spaces and containers where people can get away from the heat. And they're generally tall volumes 
where heat can rise that are shaded. So we were thinking about all those things. We were thinking about temples on heights. We were thinking about trying to um, give you a place from where you could make a geometry or make a geography rather that kind of gave you something beyond the flat plain of the Punjab. So if you imagine us making these two high places, these two plinths on which we were going to make the buildings, we then thought, well, then how can we differentiate these buildings? The student housing was going to be in seven towers. And uh, the seven towers, we, we, for obvious economic reasons, you design one tower and then, we, and then for, for, for okay, economy, we, turn we, we them. twisted them and turned them like chess pieces on mm. a board so that they had different relationships to each other and there was space between them. And the space between them was either an upper space or a lower space, but it was quite open. There was lots of pergolas, there were bridges and there were containment and ways, ways to travel between the buildings. And then a kind of a garden, a walled garden within which they sat. So that was one kind of set of spaces. So they're about eight. They're eight stories, just eight to get a sense high. of the scale yes, of it. Yes, yeah, those seven towers are eight stories each. And um, they, they, they hold 2,000 uh, students. So that's a, that's a, that's a significant um, village, um, which then also had to have, um, you know, dining, dining, dining and measures, you know, leisure, yeah, all ba- you know, so, places you know, to play social chess, space, yeah, places uh, to watch the cricket, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that then happened on that elevated plane because the, the other thing that we very quickly um, realized about the way that people use time and space there, it's quite different to the way that we live because a lot of the, the hot weather, it's too hot to live outside. So either you live in an air-conditioned space or you do a lot of stuff at night. So things like, you know, people occupy the library at two in the morning, for example. People play cricket until midnight uh, on, on a pitch which is just spotlit, but they're watching it from our elevated podium, if you like, uh, at, at, the, at the residences. So there's, there's a lot of things that happen at night. There's things that happen during the day. And in the hot weather, a lot of stuff now happens during the day, underneath the podium of the learning laboratory bit. So we, we kind of developed this whole thing about a shading device that would come down and, and, and could be used in the cooler parts of the year, say between what November, February. November to February is quite comfortable. It's like it's our summer. Yeah. And lovely to be outside, lovely breezes, lovely fresh air, nice sunshine, cold nights. And then in the hot part of the year, they can be down below that podium. And actually, it does modify the temperature by about eight or ten degrees yeah, it's quite, it's quite significant and the air movement is is significant because we have a series of water, water pools, pools as well that allow for the air trees. circulation and yeah. so on but the scale i think the scale of that is also um maybe important to describe because that yeah, that, that kind of learning laboratory is based on a square that's 130 meters by 130 meters and then it has a the, this the, the podium which sits 10 meters above uh, ground level has got two ramps one on one at either end and each of those ramps is 130 meters long as well so it's it's 390 meters from end to end in terms of its its dimension and the podium then is is supported on a, a grid of, 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 of columns that are at 13 uh, meter centers so that's the, the and, and so they'd be they would be then 10 10 meters tall so the kind of the the nature of that public space and um scaling the scaling of that was was very interesting mm-hmm. because because the the amount of accommodation in that learning center is 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 more than 60,000 uh, square meters so it's 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 a lot of space and it's also the nature of the space was in terms of the requirement was different because you had you know 500 person lecture theaters sitting cheek by jowl with kind of you know a, a, an individual corral in the library and so trying to um, move if you like between those scales with these large buildings was was part of that interest but i suppose i say that in terms of the kind of the, <clears throat> the overall scale of it they each have a large uh, space within the three of the th- the three buildings that's nearly thirty meters tall. So that there, you know, there's just the, the the section uh, is is very important. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen the building obviously, but in the way that it's or yet, let's say not obviously, in the way that it's photographed, you do get an extraordinary sense of both kind of prospect and intimacy. Now I know you're saying the interior spaces are very large. But in the way that the photographs start to tell the sequence of, of say, prospect and arrival to these red, these red forms in, in the campus landscape. But but then when you move into the interior, there the interiors are quite articulate. But um, in terms of the use of concrete and other kind of materials and quite um, tectonic, let's say there's a lot of texturing and layering of of things. They're not flat. They're they're spatial and quite dynamic. 
And although when you see a human figure in those spaces, they look large um, and they are vast in certain, you know, they are big spaces, which is just a fact uh, for big crowds, perhaps they still have a sense of kind of intimacy and, and uh, you know, it seems it seems it's possible to apprehend them or understand them as a human being because of the way that you've articulated them. Do you want to talk something about that transition of scales? Because it is, as you know, you've, t- you've mentioned a few times about the the enormity of things, the scale of the landscape, the scale of the campus, the scale of the buildings, the amount of humans. And yet you do have to deal with the scale of the individual at a certain point, particularly when it's residential, let's say. That's right. And and actually, just to take the learning laboratory as a kind of a case in point, uh, as you say, Emmett, there are three red buildings sitting on this big plinth, this big podium. They're up at tree level. They're, they're in canopies. And I suppose... What we were trying to do inside was to create some common elements and some floor plates which would just intersect with those common elements. So each of the buildings, and and we did that because we were trying to, I suppose, come up with a way of making these buildings a family that had a response to each other. We, for all kinds of reasons to do with with stillness and, and form and solidity, we wanted to make the forms quite simple, but we wanted to filter the facade so that the sun came through a whole series of layers. But when you got to it, there's still a lot of accommodation to pack in. So you might have, you know, six or seven stories of, of, of spaces of different heights. And these floor plates were kind of sculpted around a void in the center, which the intention of which was to give people the sense of being together in those spaces and yet being at a desk. So that in the library, we have a very clear set of um, reading tables. We've got separate little study booths where people can group together for six or eight people can, can get together to work on a presentation or whatever. Um, long study tables for maybe 10 or 20 people get together, individual groups of places where you've got three or four people studying. And a lot of that is based on work that we've done before in libraries, for example, where you, you get to the, the point, uh, and, and I think it was a librarian in Trinity years ago who said to us, Bill Simpson, who said to us, what I want is for there to be different environments for people to read in so that nobody feels corralled into anything. Nobody feels they have to work in a particular way they can select. And that's become even more important, I think, particularly with group learning and people trying to do things in uh, project-based ways. So we found that a lot of the thing was trying to create these small little environments within this larger framework. So we had to make very economical, big spans, Um, lots of things where you could, you know, get people working together. We had an awful lot of books to fit in, even though they have a lot of electronic learning, there's still a good kind of component of books there, which kind of helps the spaces in terms of scaling, but also, I think, gives students a feeling they can just get up and in control of their own destiny, can pick a book off a shelf and take it to a table and read. And they can read in daylight, they can read in in a darkened space if they want to, they can sit at the edge of a void. So trying to create different environments for them within that space was really important and then when we looked at the lecture the lecture theatres we had those all grouped together and we we developed a structure and we worked we should say actually there was a big design team here because we were we were appointed then they appoint they they paired us with a a very good firm of architects in Delhi who we became great very friendly with DPA Um, and then there was a full design team there were engineers mechanical and electrical people landscape people people. exactly the same setup as we'd have here superficially very similar not quite the same really when you get into it but superficially fairly similar Um, so we had Indian engineers but we we quickly realised in an earthquake zone 4 we didn't know too much about the challenges of that so we we actually asked Arabs in Dublin to give us a hand to to try and realise these big spans that we we were trying to do. So yeah. lecture theatres were going to be potential of that yeah. to, to achieve that kind of... I suppose that it was back to the scale thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Because with the lecture theatres, we were charged with these enormous spaces that we wanted to be able to humanise as well. That you, when you walked into that particular part of the building, that you could see... That, that it wasn't essentially a corridor with a series of doors off it with, with a load of enormous spaces behind those doors, I suppose. But you wanted to have a sense of, of you know, space volumes. that was above, of volumes that, mm-hmm. that were going on. So we developed a, a, a suspended structure so that, that there are six lecture theatres that are... But actually, yeah. the thing that was, I suppose, as you're saying, Ruth, the thing of, of the challenge of saying, how do, you, how do you make a big carapace into which you put a series of lecture theatres? And we're talking like, I think it was 18 
in total, yes. some of which were down on the ground in little pavilions, but a lot of them were kind of stacked up on top of each other. And we wanted to kind of create the sense of those volumes themselves, and the space between them would become the social spaces, because the thing that we found all the time was that nobody programmed social spaces. Nobody gave us a brief for them. Mm. Nobody understood that they were necessary. And that was really what we were bringing. The big expertise, I suppose, that we brought to it was a, a, a really good knowledge of how academic uh, environments work in, in Ireland and, and in places that, that we're familiar with on this side of the world. And it's not just, you know, Rackham and Stackham. It's, it's a case of bringing in people and, and letting them understand the life-enhancing opportunities of a true university in the Newman-esque sense. So because, we wanted yeah, to bring that. They'd given us the brief. Yeah. But we realised quite quickly that the brief was just a list of building types with an area against them. Yeah. But the development of what went into that was not there. Not there. You know, and, and so we effectively wrote the brief mm. for the full, for the full for kind the full of 60,000 square metres and mm. plus, plus the accommodation. Um, but... But yeah, that, so that so, and, and just to go back to, to Arab's role in this, so we had this idea that we'd hang these lecture theatres out of these big spans, basically, we'd just literally have a series of kind of almost portals, and we'd have things hung off them, and the space between them would be the places where students could gather outside the lectures to, you know, have a chat, have a coffee, have a juice, whatever it was, and, you know, get on with their developing lives. But... We, we quickly discovered that the Indian engineers really found that a bit challenging. So we, we asked Arabs to help us to explain the concepts and to find a way to, to do that. And we did. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was a lot of, you know, toing and froing, peer review, um, a lot of stuff like that. So I think Arabs were very helpful in creating the mechanisms within which we could work. Yeah, they set out the framework really. We, it was, we worked yeah. with Declan Monaghan on it and it was, it was done worked. as a series of... Like the way the way you kind of always want to work with design, it was around the table. Uh, you know what, what what's possible here? How can we achieve that span? Because the the distances were 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 were, were okay, enormous. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that allowed then that gave that kind of allowed our our engineers then in Delhi to to work to work with that and to work with us on developing it. And um, so it was a good uh, collaboration mm. as well. It was. It was. Uh, on the lecture theatres as well. Just to finish on that, because there were we we had eighteen in the brief. Mm. And uh, we also wanted to provide a range of teaching spaces, which then also moved on into the computer science faculty, which was the third of the three buildings. But um, we, we also brought a, a whole series of those lecture uh, rooms or teaching rooms down to the, to the ground level so that there would be a kind of volumes and numbers of people spilling out into those um, kind of general areas, the external areas underneath the podium, but also so that students could kind of almost wander in and out of these teaching spaces and have chance encounters uh, and, that it, and, and also to allow the other faculties to use those spaces so that we didn't have a kind of a silo where, you know, the lecture theatres were dedicated to a particular faculty. And that was a really, that was a really important yeah, racing really point that. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. the whole kind of brief, that kind of openness, I suppose. One of the, one of the things I think that really intrigues many people, I think, about working as an architect in a completely different country, but also in a completely different cultural context. You know, it's not like you're working in... Europe, which has some, let's say, similarities culturally to to the kind of tradition, architectural tradition of of Ireland, let's say, is this um, challenge, I guess, that you face as an architect, particularly, I think, perhaps it's quite very strong in your work, where you are so immersed, I suppose, in the culture and the people in you know in which you're you're making the building. So the buildings are not a product that gets you know built in another place and get shipped and dropped not like a telephone it's much more sophisticated in terms of how how buildings come to both embody a local cultural practice and then as a result uh, of their sort of material or tectonic disposition or their arrangement or how they relate to an existing set of buildings or places or people or cultures they become appropriated by people who live there or who work in that town or who get to use the building in a sometimes in a in a in an easier way, not always, uh, or just in a way that that's, that's um, I guess what I'm trying to ask really is that it's challenging, isn't it, to work in a culture where you're going to leave such a significant imprint and footprint after you leave 
and I know that you're saying you're translating some of your experience, which is which is significant in terms of understanding of library buildings and understanding of campus buildings and residential buildings, and assisting a client with the development of a brief and a development of a way of conceiving of and then delivering a building. At the same time, right now there's people in that building, and there's how do you so how do you reconcile your immense knowledge on one hand and your lack of knowledge on the other hand about how people might end up using your building or this building as you say it's not your building it's a team it's a yeah. significant team effort i mean it's, it's a it's a big challenge isn't it i mean not just a team uh, in india but the team in ireland too because we had our whole office i don't think any of us have ever worked as hard as we did in our lives uh, in in that particularly in that first year yeah. Yeah. of just trying to get this thing to work because and, and I think part of it is to do with the fact that we, we had a, a good relationship with the other architects. India is based very similarly to Ireland on, on, on almost clan networks and things of people. It's personal. Everybody wants to know what you're doing. They want to know, you know, what your mother is like and, and uh, you know, what your sister is at and, and all that. And, and you know, yes. it's, it's a really... Uh, intensely scrutinizing environment and and we began I mean we got to know these people really well and they're terribly good they're friends great now. friends yeah, um, yeah, yeah and I suppose there was a lot of over and back like we started thinking we're going to build brick buildings it's going to be like Louis Kahn it's going to be just brilliant and then we took a drive through the brick fields of the Punjab uh, with our colleagues and we could realize exactly why they said don't even no try to do that <laughs> Because it's going to be a disaster. Every brick is a different size, a different shape. Some of them will crumble. Some of them won't. But you don't know which ones. So forget the brick. There's no consistency. So we had to kind of, you know, we had to be very much helped by their understanding of what would work. So there was a huge amount of collaboration. And and, and we would go to India for four days at a time. And the two of us were like, I won't say we were quite joined at the hip. We were nearly joined at the head. And, and yeah. we were kind of like you know, we we kind of held how this thing went yeah. on the kind of the public side of of going talking, uh, getting to know the, the the personalities on the other side, and then transmitting that activity and and and, and needs back to people in the office. And we could only ever stay for four days because we had no time because we had to come back and get all the work done for the next meeting. So and I think that the, the whole just kind of relating it to your question as well and that point, which was that it was all about ritual yes the ritual of business the ritual of education mm, the ritual of, of of meetings and of um travel but also of dinners and of, of friendships which 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 were a huge part of this yeah, and were. a huge part of the of the genesis of it and the realization of it and i suppose that you build on you build on that with the people that you're sitting you know we would sit in these rooms for six seven hours at a time with about 50 people in the room well between 30 and 50 people at any one time and i think in terms of what you pass on you you, you pass on something that then develops its own rituals and the students and um, when we've been back there since they've moved in we've, we've noticed all sorts of ways of using the place and the buildings that we also wouldn't have thought of necessarily. And it's like you, it's like you have it on your hand and you pass that, you pass the hand over to the to the to the um, building users, the students and the and, and the teachers, and you say, well, this is this is the imprint that I have, but you're going to put your your own imprint on it. And I think the other the other the other thing about how how the, to how it was propelled was it, that that the idea the the because uh, in India everything is 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 kind of built on the basis of consensus, really, isn't it? It's 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 and there are, there are so many people involved in everything you do. You never we we never had a meeting with two or three people in a room. So you're always working with large numbers and so the strength of the idea from day one was something that actually propelled the project through the five years it took to to deliver it and when everybody became comfortable with that and realized that you know they that they believed in it and um, it was what got it through actually. actually that's that's a really important point that the concept as the driver was something and, and again a bit like the choice of materials and how did we develop that um that sense of of a simple idea, which is about, you know, how you how you make spaces and how you allow people to how you how you help people to mix and and, and get together. That was something that needed a lot of modification as we went through the process because, like every meeting, we propose something. There would be, you know, twenty hands up saying, "I can see why this would need to change," or "I can see why that would need to change," and then we'd have to take that on and and move with it. 
and see how that worked. So I, I think it would be important to say that there was a whole design aspect to this where we had to learn quickly things that worked and things that didn't work. And some of those were kind of building regulation things and some of them were social things. Um, there's much more stratification in a certain way. Some of the things that we were trying to do was to encourage people to speak for themselves because there's an incredible belief in hierarchy. Um, everything that the chairman said, anything that, that, that our client, the chancellor of the university said, was generally not questioned unless we questioned it. And then if we questioned it and said, well, why do you think that would work? Would, would it be a different thing if we looked at that another way? That allowed us to open up uh, topics and and uh, bring out the discussion further. And I think we arrived at a consensus through having a very strong concept and then having to modify within that how all these facilities worked. And also it's important to, to consider that when we were doing this process, there were lots of workshops. They would come to Dublin because they had an ongoing tr teaching relationship with Trinity where students and staff were, were swapping over and back. And they would see things and say, do you know what, come down to, to meet so-and-so because they have a very interesting IT thing down here, a little gizmo, and we'd like to incorporate that. So there'd be things like that, that would happen, which were, you know, things about the technology or about the spaces. And then, you know, the proportion of things or, you know, us saying, come and look at this because we'd like to line this in timber. And here's a building that we've, we've done this in and we'd like you to mm. see it, to experience it so that you can either tell yes. us that it's nonsense or that it's not. All the time showing it. Yeah. And if it worked. If it worked. It carried yes. through. It carried and through. And you didn't have to go back. Yeah. And that was, re that was, mm. a, that was very refreshing for us. Mm. And I think... Also, the fact that we were working, when we were there, we would have, you know, kind of long days working with, 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 with DPA in their office. And uh, I don't know the luxury of the dedication to mm. architecture, mm. Which, which is, you know, um, kind of, I don't know, working here, you're, you kind of, you have, to, you have to keep trying to, you know, reinforce the idea and get back to, you know, where you started. In a way, what was great about this was it was a kind of a trajectory that was totally invested in the idea and the architecture of the... But it, it also sounds to me, and I know this is a fair summation, that the, the, the very simple but very profound idea was to make a place on the campus which enabled and facilitated all those who use it to overlap, interact, become more gregarious, feel, feel rooted in some physical thing in the place. And then the only way to deliver that was for you to surrender yourself to that process yourselves, right? So you also had to embark upon a process of gregarious overlap and exchange. And that takes a, I mean, that takes a lot of time, right? I mean, that's a lot of time and effort. And yeah, it was like that. And, and yeah. Was, yeah, exactly. And you, you had to, I think every time we went, there was some, um, you know, pretty serious issue that would arise that had to be resolved when we got there and we usually we, a cost issue it, it was usually yeah and yeah. We, we 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 were kind of we were trying to anticipate them and we reached a point about halfway through where we just realized you just got to go and um just wait for it to come and deal with it as it arises and i think that was a that was kind of really important in terms of what we learned ourselves about ourselves and you know being in these situations where you just you really had to be pretty uh, pretty focused and pretty pretty tough actually as well uh, to to, to to kind of manage these crises that that arose and they would look mm -hmm. to us to say well how are we going to solve this and so we'd sit down and we'd work our way through it and come to come up come a, to an answer that was yeah. a solution yeah. to whatever yeah. the issue was whether it was seat sizes or as you say uh, cost you know we went through lots of uh, cost exercises mm -hmm. and all, all of that um, but always using our experience I suppose to try and move the conversation on in a positive way and reach a positive outcome. But you're right to say that the, the overlap, uh, what we were trying to do on the campus was exactly what we had to do ourselves. That, I, I think that's a lovely description, that that overlap yeah. between our culture and, and our Indian colleagues' culture and, and how we melded all that together. I think they uh, certainly have always said to us that they learned an awful lot about how we worked. And we started off being engaged as so-called concept architects but again, we realized that we had to do a lot more because for us, when we talk about the depth of a window and how to make a building feel really solid, it's about making that depth really 
crucial, really important. Um, how to explain the solidity of building? Um, like, do you pull the window out to the surface and make it like a skin, or do you pull it right back and make it like a big, heavy, deep thing? And there were lots of reasons why we wanted to do have have things in certain planes. Some of them were sustainability led, some of them were climate based, some of them were social based. But it was all about how did we make the building details responsive to what we were trying to do in the idea. And that, I think, was totally new to them because um, and, yeah. and, and as, as architects in India, they spend a lot of their time doing fit outs for hotels and so on. So they, they know all about, you know, the kind of materials that work in that humidity, um, you know, all of the, the, the kind of very important background knowledge you have to have to make something work. But that thing of manipulating the architecture in a very detailed way to create a sense or to create a sort of a almost like an animus for the building, going back to your thought about what does the building do when we're not there. Um, that was, I think, complete news to them. So we ended up detailing the building to one to 10 and it took us forever. We, we had to just do it on every, every facade. We had to work out the yeah. whole way down top to bottom. And then we would say, that's what we're trying to do. Now let's see where the problems are. And we'd work it out in planning section and deliver it over. Which was to get all the, I mean, the alignments were the critical, the critical they thing. They really were, yeah. Because the kind of, the, the kind of, the, um, the kind of, the, the, the stuff was all there, but to get it all just sitting in the right place was, was key. And also for us, a, a kind of an early lesson we, we learned on it was we realized that actually, you know, this is, this is about a, a particular scale of, of building and um, of understanding uh, it, it wasn't going to come down to the shadow gaps around the doors uh, because we realised that that wasn't. Um, it was about a freedom of scale, exactly. And yeah. if you if you accept that, it was that, a freedom, freedom of yeah. scale. Yeah. But it's not about the shadow gap. I mean, is it fair to say? I mean, is this one of the first times that 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 has arisen in your work? That that surrender of of the kind of fine grained detail of of how a door jam hits a piece of concrete and i mean that's that's a question of distance and scale but it but that was that sort of a challenging thing for you guys to face in your work that sort of yeah, yeah it certainly was surrender of things yeah, no, it yeah. certainly was, it was yeah. i mean we were i suppose there were lots of things that really surprised us like we thought we were going to a craft based economy where people would produce yeah. on the side of the road beautiful uh, pierced stone, stone, stone screens, screens. yeah that would cost nothing. And of course, none of that is true anymore. Um, and that's what's really interesting about it. India is moving at huge speed. They regard Europe as a very nice uh, kind of place to go for your holidays or to, you know, play golf or to, to kind of see interesting historic settings. But they don't regard it as being at the cutting edge of, of a lot of stuff. And a lot of their graduates um, leap straight into Stanford or uh, MIT or Berkeley or wherever in, in, yeah. in America. And, and they see this as being a kind of a very fast version of taking the, the nice bits of European life, giving them to their students and then propelling them on into a kind of an American business type economy. Um, and, you know, in a sense, that craft-based culture that we thought we'd find was something where we thought things like the door jam and so on would be really important. But we quickly realized that if we were going to spend our time on that, we would lose the bigger picture. So, for example, we originally wanted to make stone jali screens. This kind of jali uh, screen is, is a very traditional thing in, in Indian architecture about taking the sun and reducing its impact on the interior. So you take a piece of stone and you cut holes in it in a certain thickness and you allow the light through, but the sun's um, beams are, are reduced as they get in. We, we had a whole thought about how the elevations of the main learning center buildings would be, couldn't afford them. So we had to kind of work quickly and come up with an idea about taking the stones themselves, because the stone material was relatively inexpensive, yes. and find ways of turning that and so find getting, a, that, getting a yeah, module wasn't getting just a module that reduce, right. so you order was, rakes of it and mm. then position it in a way that makes the screen and the depth, which and the was depth. the key thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So, so we had to kind of understand quickly what wasn't the case in our kind of simplistic uh, approaches to Indian traditional architecture, what could be translated and what couldn't, and also what they were keen to reject. And if you, if you think of it, our own history has been full of exactly the same things where we say, patched cottage, forget it. Let's get out of here. Let's get to a, you know, a, a nice breeze block building on, a, on, a, on an estate. That's where we want to be. So that whole journey that, that people come from, from a very craft-based society to something that becomes more technological is immensely interesting. 
for what point you enter the cycle, I suppose. Mm. And how you um, value things like yeah. like concrete. Yeah. And the finish they weren't interested concrete. in concrete. In so, fact, the, 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 the big characteristic yeah. of, of their building industry is that it's done, everything is done by a kind of shell and core method. And, and what we mean by that is that they throw up the structure and then they cover all the defects with nice materials. Whereas in Europe, we're saying, wow, concrete is beautiful. We love it. And it's a great thermal uh, kind of sink for, for heat. And it, it helps a building act like a, a slow radiator, which is really good for climate sustainability and all that kind of stuff. Why can't we expose this concrete? So we, we managed to persuade them, but boy, it was a challenge. Mm. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, we did find there were places where workmanship was a challenge. We had to work with that as much as we could. We had to accept a certain level of, I suppose, and again, standing back to the, the freedom of scale as against the, the shadow gap. Um, that sense of, of being able to appreciate the concrete for what it was and for what it could do for you, like vast acreages of it. Um, but they finally got it and they said, yeah, you know, we could do that and, and we can see how it'll help us reduce the cooling load on this building. Maybe maybe it's too soon for you to know this or maybe I imagine you, you talk about it quite a lot, but the the kind of impact on of a building like this on your work and also on your life. I mean, personally, it's a huge commitment. Um, you have to obviously sacrifice a lot to engage with something of this complexity in terms of time and family and all of that, which is a is a hidden story of architecture. I very often think the amount of time it takes to do even simple things, sort of mind things that are so significantly complex um, yeah. with a very complex social process embedded. But also then in terms of some of the things you're touching on in your own work, I mean, you have a significant sustained track record of constructing uh, a range of buildings in Ireland, and then you make this building in India with a different um, construction culture, as you're saying, a different priority of and a different history and trajectory of where it sits within its own its own history and its own c- culture. Where does that rest with you now? That that sort of level of change that's happened to you all. Yeah, I, I suppose the one thing it would it would make you realize is how much of our time in Ireland. Uh, we fritter away, and we don't necessarily want to, but it's part of a process that we're becoming increasingly part of. Where um, the the thing about working in India was that you could spend your energy on the thing itself, and the things that had to be done to to achieve that thing, like the the workshops, the the dinners, the 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 travel, um, and, and and the travel even itself was was an important part of it. Like we would have spent an awful lot of time on planes actually working through stuff, like shaping a presentation again, which we had put together in the office under huge time pressure and then had to redo it and so on. But I think it kind of gives you a perspective on what's important in your life. And that to me has been really significant. And I'm, I, I suppose, I, I think uh, as things become, uh, you know, more enmeshed in bigger design teams with larger sets of project managers and, and people... Uh, trying to mediate what we do, I, I think what we 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 want to argue for more and more is the time to design things. And uh, you notice when when people produce these milestones of programs and stuff, you you look at the bar that is supposed to be what for us is the most important of all, and it's like six weeks mm. or twelve weeks. You just think it's crazy, but I suppose it's given us a sort of perspective where we're kind of saying, let's really just try and use that time for what it is. And try and you know devolve wherever we can to people who are good at this, like project managers, for example, the the, the working of things, the writing out of stuff, things that we used to do ourselves in the office, but you know increasingly you don't have to because the, the, there are bigger teams and so on. But I think that would be one of the main things to me would be the focus about what's important. That first clear idea that you have about something, how can you? protect that and, and push it forward that kind of that thing transcends that. scale as well though yeah, just thinking it about really. it because mm. it's not like um, these are all kind of tools that you have I suppose as, mm. as architects and the the, the the translation into the bigger bigger scale while it was hugely um, interesting and exciting and fast paced and so on it, it's it, it's it's kind of maybe just a, a, a bigger stretching of your muscles but it's not fundamentally different you know I mean we work at we work at 
at, 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 all, at all, all sorts of scales. And I think most architects, you know, you know, everybody, everybody has that in them in as well. Them, yeah. it's, it's just that you, it's just so rare that you get that opportunity to do something that is, you know, of that kind of, uh, of that pace and scale. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's been a hugely um, enriching process as much for the kind of the, the relationships, if you like, that threaded their way through the whole process uh, as for the, for the end result. And we were both there on consecutive weeks this, this February, February, just, just mm-hmm. a few months ago uh, with our families uh, to, to go and take stock and, and, and see. And, and then um, our, old friend collaborator Christian Richards came over the following week to take the photographs with uh, Kate Cregan uh, from the office who was one of the architects on the project and and he took the photographs and came back to Germany and then the world closed down and we kind of felt gosh it was kind of amazing that we got there in February and that we apart from anything else we were able to observe it fully kind of up and up and running which is which which it is yeah and know? that was that was a tremendous thing actually because you always love to see people in the buildings that you've designed. We spend so long making these empty things and they don't come alive until yeah. people start walking through the you doors. Them over to them. Yeah. yeah, and uh, <laughs> the excitement of seeing people really, you know, move into space and saying, yeah, we're, we're having, we're having a, a juice here and we're, we're, we're having our, our cup of tea and that's happening in one place and there are people queuing up to go to lectures and lots of things that we saw along the way that, that were kind of important milestones in terms of understanding the project and understanding what they, you know, what people really want to do, how those kids really want to learn things. And, you know, they are so keen to learn. They're so programmed. There's nobody or there's very few people sitting around saying, you know, I'm kind of tired today. I'm not going to lectures. Everybody's at those lectures and they're kind of dashing around the place trying to uh, kind of get to them and, and cover all the bases and, and, and do all the social stuff as well, because they now have the social side of it. And it's also, I, I suppose, not only just seeing people in the spaces, but seeing the spaces fully used. Because at the beginning, we thought, God, they'll never use this. I mean, this is going to be empty. But the numbers are not insignificant in terms of an Irish university. But it's just that the, 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 the way the concentration of use is, is quite intense. And they've doubled so, the they've doubled, they've doubled the their population yeah of the university since we since so in, we were in five years since yeah. we started so that was part of the part of the plan as well and it was all it was all privately like it was funded. all funded it was self funded so it was funded by the by the projections if you like of the increased numbers and so on which which was really fascinating as a process because they were in control of whatever funds they had and the decisions then that were made in relation to that were were kind of proportional yeah so so coming back to your question the thing about how, how you know what what influences you what changes you you know i think there have been a lot of changes i think you you would st- one would stand back a little more quickly and say what are we trying to do here and and let's not lose sight of that we've still got to be the jam and the sandwich that architects always are where we we glue all these things together and and people who can you know aren't resolving stuff out of the edge we have to bring them in and make them part of the process but i think it's it's very clear to me that there's no point in doing this unless it's it's kind of going in the direction that you that you wanted to in terms of molding something, making a, a building or a place that contributes something. And there's so many people who are who are through their and not through any bad intent really, but just through you know worrying about program cost and so on. All these things are important, but. I think we just have to have perspective on how we achieve them and what is what, what are the significant things. And for architects constantly to be coming out with the significant architectural things rather than all the other things that happen that we are also good at, but just putting together that blend of understanding what people um, can, can, can most enjoy in taking on facilities, how they, how they kind of work as, as facilities in themselves and how the overlaps work. And, and I suppose working in India did give us an enhanced sense of that, that the, the amount of, 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 of sociability and so on that people bring to something, uh, in, in, is, I suppose, was, was just an even more important focus than maybe we thought. That, that whole sense of, you know, the, the added dividend, the huge enjoyment that we see people getting out of using this building, 
you, pe people in India are very exuberant, and, and you don't find that in, in the same way here. Um, you won't have such a sense of people yes. saying, "Hey, this is They're a really so amazing place." Yeah. They yeah. come up to you. You get real feedback. They yeah. come up to you and they yeah. say, "We love this building. We've never had a building like this before." And nobody would say that to you in, in, in Ireland at all. They might just say, mm, "Yeah, quite nice." Um, so there's there's a lovely thing about just that joy. In, and I think that sense of joy yeah. is something that I would not like to lose from any bit of work that I do in the future. So that's kind of an important thing yeah. for me. A few weeks ago, Valerie, you spoke about towns um, as part of an Irish Architecture Foundation post-COVID discussion by a number of architects about what, what the future holds for Ireland. But when you talk about sociability and you talk about place and you talk about joy... These, these, these things that are currently being used actually quite widely in our contemporary discourse to describe the benefits of some of the arts, let's say, um, in, 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 our, in our lockdown times and how they're getting us through all of those, those sort of positive health and well-being things. But then you also connect that in the way that you're talking now and the way you're talking then to, to this thing of time and longevity, that the impacts of what we do as architects or what we, the decisions we make in towns, for example, are are long felt and will have long lasting impact, positive or negative, depending on the choices we make. And of course, this week, it's quite a link maybe to get back to the programme for government. But I think it's worth noting, given that you spoke so passionately about that, that, that towns above almost everything within the spatial domain and architectural or design domain in Ireland was identified as a key, as a key uh, factor for the next or a key priority for the next government. Have you any reaction to that and any sense of um, where where architecture and design, this is a question to both of you, sits more widely within contemporary Irish discourse and how how you how we might inject more joy into into our world and you know how that might actually happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's a really really important point because um, and and you're right. I, I was talking about towns because I'm I'm kind of, I've kind of been studying them for for a long time and I'm trying to finish a book on them at the moment, but which is about a, a big kind of overview. But the thing that I think about them that that is the, the kind of overlooked bit, is that they're an amazingly appropriate and ready-to-go container for people. Mm. Like, they're an endlessly, beautifully designed, useful containers for people that make an instant community. And that, to me, like a lot of towns have been depopulated. A lot of people have left them because the economy wasn't there to support them. And I suppose in, in terms of the whole thing of being in lockdown suddenly realizing that actually uh, this remote working thing could really work. And none of us really trusted. I certainly didn't think it would ever work in the way that it did. Uh, you know, it was a remarkable thing that, yeah, everybody can get on with doing their stuff and we can we have the technology where we can use these tools to, to create uh, communication between us. And it seemed like a, an obvious thing to say that, you know, with, with the sense that we need to be apart and not so much like crushed together in city spaces, that maybe we could think about the towns in a different way and the towns could become the kind of release valve for the cities. And instead of worrying about depopulation, that people could again inhabit them because we would have good broadband there and, you know, we would start to inhabit them properly. Now, I, I was listening to one of the, um, the the contributions on the government policy on architecture last Friday. There was a, um, a, a, a a podcast thing about it and um, there was an awful lot of very good information from people who've been working extremely hard in this whole area there's so much legislation and so much policy that's there that's really good the only thing though is that we keep having to come back to say well why isn't it all working because it's working in places where it's where it's obviously going to work like mm. places like lovely towns with with sea views and and very resilient economies full of people doing different craft base or organic things or, you know, already pleasant places to be. And, you know, you pick out a town like Westport or like Clonakilty or, you know, towns like that, which are clearly going to work. Mm. But there are other towns which, you know, are a bit more challenging and they maybe don't have those natural attributes. You kind of think, well, how can you how can you look at those? And, and some of them, I think you can look at through their own history lens in that they are parts of, of extraordinary uh, and uh, ambitious endeavors by their founders in, in various ways. And some of them, um, you know, have lovely kind of natural situations that haven't been fully exploited or whatever. But I think what's missing in, in all of that stuff, all those legislation things, is something that pulls it all together. Like there's nobody talking, or at least 
in my experience, there are big difficulties with fire departments, there's big difficulties with insurances, there's big, big difficulties with funding. And if you got those things solved, a lot of this stuff would fall into place a lot easier mm. because people can't take buy a house. Like five groups of people can't buy a big townhouse in the middle of, let's pick a town like Ballinrobe or somewhere like that. And they can't buy a house and divide it into four on the main street and say, we're turning the ground floor into a workspace, floors above are different apartments, yeah. living above it. It's incredibly difficult to do. We've tried to do it ourselves as, you know, in the office, we've had projects which have ended up through the intervention of, of a very assiduous and, in my view, maybe over the top requirements from the fire department, too much, cost too much, the project disappears. So there's a lot of things like that, which I think we could really learn from Europe, where they've been doing this and never stopped doing it, really. And I think our, our movement back to towns might be about trying to bring those kind of things and pulling them together. Because I think we as architects, we know very well the things that are really good and work, but it's it's a case of trying to get the the underarching machinery mm. together, the funding. Yeah, like, I think the, you know county county architects, the you know oh, yeah. to, to the, the yeah. kind of the the dissemination across the country. I mean, I I, I did read the pro program for government, and I think that it's it is it is really great to see reference to 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 kind of architecture on so many levels actually in it and you know from housing through to conservation and heritage and to you know down to a reference to having you know more modern and industrial buildings on the national inventory and you know even statements like that uh, you know acknowledging um acknowledging this there was there was an architect at the negotiating table which which um is is if if, if not if not yeah. more than one uh which, which is great um and i think that you know we we need to stick our stick our heads above the parapet too and you know use our use our skills wherever possible to try and again the jam and the sandwich bring people together and and facilitate conversations that will release more in terms of built heritage that's that's existing and and also new work which is essential as well for the for the economy and for for everything to keep uh, to keep going and progressing yeah the the visual thing the the visual aspects of these things i think still escape a lot of of people in irish society and they have the best intentions but the visual thing doesn't necessarily come out tops and um if you think of how easy it is to destroy the material characteristics of a town and you can do it almost in overnight you could change the windows overnight you lose all the old plaster overnight something has gone and to to bring back the traditional skills that will maintain that fabric properly is something that will need mm. a lot of support and a lot of help but also a lot of understanding because a lot of people will just say timber windows why would i do that sure i'd have to paint them every few years that would be mad so i should go for something else and the whole reason for being in these places is that they're beautiful soft wonderful environments full of incredible fabric and if we keep on nibbling away at that fabric it won't be wonderful anymore mm. and you know people go to towns in france and they say isn't it just beautiful it's beautiful because people have spent time for years getting the right plaster looking making sure the right windows are there and you know they're not perfect either but they've done a very good job on a lot of a lot of their uh, heritage buildings in you know a lot of very anonymous ones and I think this is the other thing. It's it's not a case of just picking out the the, 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 the big key, buildings, yeah, the key, key buildings. buildings. Yeah. It's the anonymous stuff. It's it's the stuff above the shop. It's 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 the ordinary things. It's making the the gutters work, making sure all those roots have uh, have proper slate on them, and that we keep as much old stuff as we possibly possibly can. Because a lot of people think, and and architects are not. I'm not saying architects think this at all. They don't. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of engineering uh, led things would say it's too expensive to keep that old slate. Don't bother. We, it'll be cheaper to get a new one. And that's not the kind of thinking that we need in in taking on these towns. So we have to find a way of bringing other people on board that valuing of 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 old things of the the wabby sabby kind of thing, if you mm -hmm. like. Of how how do you keep that pattern of age? while doing deep energy refits and, and making sure the buildings are thermally efficient. We can do it all, but it does need a bit of support. It needs to be done in the right it way, does for need sure. To be done the yeah, right yeah. Way. And, uh, you know, maybe it's it's a house at a time, and maybe I think they could really do it by devoting a team of two or three very well-trained people within the local authorities to a town, to a do, town like Clonmel. Yeah, to do an example. And three people would say, I know who, every, who owns every building in this town. I know what their plans are. I know the people who are totally intransigent and are just trying to wait until they can knock it down and build, assemble five things into a site. 
um, they've got to know all of those things and they've got to be really working with the people who own the things. And, and often they're people who don't have many resources. So that's their only, like that's their nest egg. So they're going to cash it in and, and buy whatever they can with it in terms of, you know, nursing care, children, inheritance, whatever. Mm. But to, to, to not have those thoughts as, as, as something you fully understand is, is kind of missing the point. So I think you need a devoted team for each town. And, and those people have to really learn how that town goes together and, and, and where you can take one street at a time and start to upgrade it really slowly and get people involved. Um, it's a fantastic challenge though and there's so much to do that mm. it will be a great thing to do over the next 10 years. It really will. And that's what it'll take. It'll take that time. I, I've no doubt. I really enjoyed hearing that story and how the architects worked to make a building so very far away from their home. The photographs of this project are extraordinary, taken by Christian Richters, and you should seek them out on McCollumOven.com or over on the What Do Buildings Do Instagram page. Photos will have to do for now because it feels almost impossible to imagine that we will ever travel again for pleasure or simply to expand our knowledge, and I'm not sure if I will ever get to see this building, which will be significant in the history of Irish architecture, in its cool, concrete flesh. This is because it may not feel safe to do so for some time and at a time of a growing climate emergency, how can we justify the indulgence of flying for a day to see a building? Maybe. Next time though we will travel a little bit, if only virtually, and we are off to Berlin to talk bungalows, books and other buildings with Adrian Duncan, an engineer, filmmaker, visual artist and now an acclaimed writer. Do join us next time on What Do Buildings Do All Day, and as we head out of our homes and take off our earphones and step out into the world as a community once again post-lockdown, make sure you stay safe. Mm-hmm.